Hey everyone, this is Chad Arms, pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about sacrifice. It'll play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to ask you to do something that I've asked you to do before. Will you please take some time to leave this podcast a rating or review on whichever podcast host you use? If you'll do that, then it will help our sermons be heard by more people. And as I always say, we think that is really important and really valuable. So if you could leave us a rating and review, it will help us spread the message of Jesus further. We'd really, really appreciate it. Again, thanks for listening. I hope that this sermon will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. So this, this sermon series kind of started the preparation for this in uh, December at one of my family's Christmas parties and at our extended family Christmas parties, uh, I end up inevitably in conversations with one of my favorite people to talk to. His name's Sherman. He is my uh, stepmom's brother. My uncle Sherman is a guy that worked in church. He served the church for a long time. He's really well read, and he recently converted to Catholicism. And so all of that makes him just somebody that I'm drawn to have conversations with. We we talk so much about. Uh, theological things and church things that I think people are usually just mad at us. We're opening presents now. Would you two shut up? That's kind of how it goes. And, and so last December, we, we, we hit on this conversation. I don't even know how it came about, but he mentioned something about sacrifice and corporate worship, like what we do here when we gather together. And, and, and the, the conversation kind of kind of ebbed and flowed, but it, but it ended up with this, this kind of concept that stuck with me, and, and that is that the Bible declares that sacrifice is a part of our worship, but at the same time, we don't really think about how we should sacrifice when we come together for a church gathering, a church service, which a lot of times, oddly enough, people actually refer to as a worship service, but we don't think of this this gathering of Christians, not just ours, but any of them, in terms of sacrifice at all, right? Like if you're thinking about it spiritually, you're actually thinking about like, was I, was I fed or did I get anything out of that? But biblically, worship is connected to sacrifice. And, and here's what I think happens. I think, and this is weird, I know this is weird, but it will make sense, I, I hope. We use a verse in the Bible, Romans 12, 1, as almost an excuse not to do anything that's sacrificial when it comes to worship. And uh, let me just read it and then I'll explain that. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Romans 12, 1 and 2 is really key to the idea of sacrifice and worship in the Bible. It's actually what we're building towards in this series. Uh, Chuck right there in the back will we'll preach on that at the very end of this series. And, and we're building towards it. But, it. but I bring it up today not to teach you anything about it, but rather to say this often becomes the excuse for why we don't sacrifice at all. And I think that reading it in the message translation paraphrase of the Bible might make this more clear. This is how the message tries to illustrate what this verse is saying. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, 
and place it before God as an offering. And I think what happens in Christian circles, if people have this idea of sacrifice in their heads at all, is they just say, well, my life's a sacrifice. I'm going to go to sleep tonight. That's to be part of my worship. And so, therefore... Everything is sacrifice because this verse says we're to be living sacrifices and if we're to be living sacrifices, then my life is the sacrifice. And so I don't need to think about what it actually means to sacrifice. If I said everything you do can be a part of sacrificing to God, it's really easy to twist that in here. Everything I do is sacrificing to God and so I don't need to worry about making any sacrifice at all. Hopefully that came out clearly because it's actually what I see. It's the way in which I've used this verse personally in the past. People talk about worship like, where do you you find it easiest to worship God or whatever? These kinds of conversations happen when you're in seminary and when you're studying pastoral studies in your undergraduate program. It's like, well, my whole life is worship. But that can mean Nothing I do is actually worship, right? Nothing is any different. My sins, my sleeping, my being nice, my going to church, it's all just kind of this thing that I do, but none of it really has any special meaning. But outside of Romans 12, 1 and 2, what we see in Scripture is that it's quite clear that there are ways in which God wants us to sacrifice in order to worship. And it isn't sleeping and isn't eating. It's things that we actually do in order to give of ourselves for, for God. And, and that leads me to this next really important thing before I continue. Let's define sacrifice for a minute. And uh, in the Bible, most often, sacrifice refers to the killing of animals. The entirety of the Old Testament, pretty much, would use the word sacrifice for the slaughter of animals in order to atone for your sins, to make up for your sins, to please God, to do all of these things. What I don't mean when I talk about sacrifice in this series is the killing of animals. And we'll see that when Jesus came and Jesus died, it ended a need for these types of animal sacrifices. And so instead, when we talk about sacrifice in the New Testament, we mean something entirely different. And I think that dictionary.com does an incredible job of summarizing what we mean. Dictionary.com refers to a sacrifice first is this, the offering of animal, plant, or human life, or of some material possession to a deity, as in propitiation or homage. We don't mean that. But their second definition, really valuable, the surrender or destruction of something prized or desirable for the sake of something considered as having a higher or more pressing claim. Google.com refers to sacrifice as this, an act of giving something valued for the sake of something else regarded as more important or worthy. I love that. I'm going to read it again. An act of giving up something valued for the sake of something else regarded as more important or worthy. Going back to this idea that the message gives us about Romans 12.1, sacrifice is, is not sleeping. Sacrifice is giving up sleep because you think something else is more important than sleeping. That's what sacrifice is. And so in this series, what we're going to do is we're just going to look at the Bible and what the Bible says about 
sacrifice, specifically the New Testament. What does it mean to live as a person after Jesus who no longer needs to kill animals? What does it mean to live a life of sacrifice, of giving up something of value for something more valuable, which, let me just get right to the point, is God. What does it mean to live a life where we're giving things up that are valuable to us because we think that God is more valuable than the things that we are choosing to give up? That's what we're going to look at, and I think it's going to be awesome. I've been excited about it since like the day after that conversation with Sherman, like, hey, let's get to this. But this morning, we need to just start with this other fundamental question. Like, why, why should I sacrifice? I think that's, that's really key. And I think oftentimes we'll get the wrong answer to that question. Um, and we'll talk about a couple of those wrong answers as we go. But, but if we're going to talk for six weeks about giving up things that are valuable to us, then, then it's really important that we have... Then that we have a why. I found in my life that that it's really hard to do things, even if I if I think I should, if I have some like moral obligation. If there's no why attached to them, and I've I've used this as an example before, but uh, I love sugar, and I've tried to eat less sugar. I've tried forever to eat less sugar, and only within the last year save VBS week and this week, uh, have I done a really good job of eating less sugar? And it's all because I was laying next to my daughter while I was putting her to bed and I had this thought, I'm a pretty old parent. I knew that already. But for a parent of a two-year-old, I'm, I'm kind of old compared to a lot of people. And then this other thought came to me. I started to do math and I'm like, wow, when Hazel has a kid, I'm not going to be a spring chicken, you know, like this is no good. And then that led to like, well, I'm going to have diabetes then and and I'm not going to be able to play with my grandchildren. And so all of a sudden, about a year ago now, I was like, I'm just going to eat less sugar because I have a reason. And the reason is I want to be able to play with my grandkids and I want to be a good parent to my daughter when she's learning how to be a parent, which currently I really value in my own uh, father because I'm learning to be a parent. And, and so it was this reason why. And this morning, the goal of this sermon is to say, hey, sacrifice is a big deal. And, and here's, here's the reason why. And so we're going to look at Romans 3, and Romans 3, 1 through 24, I need to read to you. It's really a famous part of the book of Romans. It's not what we're going to really think about today, very, very long anyway, but it's really uh, an important, famous, profound part of the Bible, and it's set up for what we see in Romans three twenty five, which we're going to focus on mainly today, and this is what it says, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. Notice this. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. This is like a a brief, beautiful, and bold declaration of the gospel it's, it's like the story of Jesus all boiled down. The reason that Jesus lived, the reason that Jesus died, the reason that Jesus got out of the grave, all boiled down into a few verses, but primarily that one phrase, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified freely by Jesus. 
And, and it, it reminds us, it teaches us, it tells us of this incredible story that is Christianity. It's, it's absolutely what we believe. And that's that we all turned our backs on God. We were disobedient to him. We sinned against him. We did things that were morally repulsive. We did things that God had told us not to do. We didn't do things that God had told us to do. And out of that, God had an obligation by his very nature and character, by his glory, to punish us for the things we'd done. He couldn't be in our presence. He couldn't accept it in order to be a just, good God, the just, good God that he is. He had to cast us away from his presence. He had to punish us. But instead of that, he gave us an opportunity to get out of that sin and that punishment that comes with it. And he sent his son, Jesus, to live a sinless and perfect life and to die on a cross. And this means that we can be righteous, which is just a fancy word for meaning, have a, meaning to have a right relationship with God. We can have a right relationship with God, notice the language, completely free of charge to us. We don't have to sacrifice of ourselves, of anything, in order to obtain or gain a relationship with God. It was free. But it wasn't free to God. It wasn't free to Jesus. It's just free to us. We have justification, salvation, redemption, forgiveness of sins, all of the things that come along with that, completely free. But it cost Jesus everything. And that is what Romans 3.25 talks about. Here's what Romans 3, 25 says. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Now, the, the first thing you have to notice in this verse, it's such a big deal, it's a big deal, it's just this word, God. And what happens in this verse is a, is a transition this guy named Paul is writing this letter and he transitions. And he transitions from the benefit and the value and all of the good things that Jesus obtained for us. And he transitions into God being the one who has provided, who has initiated all of these good things that we have. God's a, a big deal, right? I mean, I hope by definition we kind of understand that, 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 that whatever we label with God we mean this is infinitely greater than us. And just as a side note, not the main point of the sermon, but one of the reasons that we should sacrifice is that simply God is God, right? And if God asks us or calls us to do something, then we have a, an obligation to do that by the very nature of who he is, infinitely more powerful, infinitely more wise, infinitely more good, all of those things than us. But what's so key here in this verse is that God is the one who initiates this whole salvation thing, this whole redemption, this whole forgiveness thing. It comes from God, it's not from us. And as we think about sacrifice, it's really important that we don't put into our minds an idea that we sacrifice because we are working towards a relationship with God. We sacrifice because God has, has worked for a relationship with us. That's a really key difference. I, uh, I've been tipped off, to, and I don't know if it's just because I was paying more attention or what, but just in, in different 
conversations or in one podcast I listened to this week, like different views of, of the way in which the afterlife goes, these ideas of, of, of what happens based on how we live our lives and things like that. And, uh, and, and, and they're all kind of de- depressing, frankly. I mean, they're just depressing. Like, uh, I listened to this podcast just about a week ago, right after church. I was listening to it on the way to my softball game. And, uh, and it was this, it's This American Life, if you listen to that, it's one of the most po- popular podcasts, but it was talking about this paradox, which I'm not going to go into, it's really fascinated me, I've already talked to somebody about it this morning, um, but it's this, this idea that if life kind of happened in the atheistic evolutionary way that many people believe it did, then at some point we should have encountered other other beings that have other intelligent life. That was kind of the idea. And there was this guy that's telling this, talking about this paradox. He's he's the journalist. And he is like genuinely so sad that there might not be other intelligent life in the universe. And he's sad because he says to himself that maybe this is it. Maybe this, is, this life is all that we live for. It's like, that's sad, right? And It's like God doesn't initiate anything because there is no God in this. And it leaves you sad. And then, and then uh, on Saturday, uh, I mean on Friday night, we watched the movie Coco, the Disney movie. And man, I, I liked the movie a lot and I'm not like a Disney hater because they don't always have my theology. In fact, I would expect nothing else from people that don't believe Christianity than to present different theologies. But, but Coco is, and I don't, I don't know how much of it is actually what, what people believe in Mexico. I don't know, I haven't researched. But, but the whole concept of the movie, and this is probably true, I'm, I'm guessing that Disney's not just making things up, is that after you die, you, you get this other life. You get to live in the land of the dead, but you cease to exist if people forget about you that are still living. Like that's the end end. Like you die, you get to live in the land of the dead, but if, if nobody else on earth in the land of the living remembers you anymore, then you cease to exist. I mean, there's a ton of pressure there, right? For you to be remembered. You should, your whole goal in life should be be as famous as possible so that people will remember you. And then, and then uh, my brother-in-law, Drew, right here, we were just talking last night and, and, and there's this show called The Good Place on TV, which I haven't actually watched at all. And, it, and, and the whole premise of the show is that you get to live in this good place if you live a really good life. You get to go into the good place. And, and it just struck me, and I don't even know if the people are dead on that show. I've never seen it. But it struck me that that's how so many people think about what happens after we die. It's like, if I've lived good enough, then things will be good for me. And for people like Hitler, things are going to be really bad for them. And I think that, that a lot of people do make sacrifices in their lives based on kind of these incredibly sad, false views of what happens when we die. I need to earn my way into the good place. I need to make sure that people know who I am and I live a life that, that people respect and know or, or like, well, it's, this is it, so I might as well do something good now. But what's so incredible about Christianity is that it's like the only belief system at least the only popular one, that says, look, it's not about you. 
It's about the initiation of God who said, I see that they've fallen short of my glory, but I will do something about it. We don't sacrifice in order to earn our way into heaven, in order to have forgiveness of sin, in order to have a right relationship with God. We do not sacrifice in order to earn. We sacrifice because of what God has already earned for us. And he did this in Jesus. And I just, I, I just need you to understand how profound this next statement is. It says God, and then it says presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. And this sacrifice of atonement is this really interesting word. It's a word that often translates mercy seat, which kind of means nothing to most of us, right? And, and the reason it's translated that, if you care at all, and you probably don't, but I'm going to tell you right now. The reason it's often translated that is because Luther, when he translated the Bible into German, used this big German word for it. And then Tyndale, who translated the Bible into English, just said like, well, I'll just try to translate that German word. And so it ends up being mercy seat. And, and it's like, what is that? Is that even in the Bible anywhere else? I mean, what, what does it mean for Christ to be the mercy seat? But we have, a, we have a hint, we have a quite clear declaration, and that's that there's this, this document called the Septuagint, which is a Greek translation of the Old Testament. And, and in this Greek translation of the Old Testament, we see this, this same word, the same Greek word that translates mercy seat a bunch of times in Leviticus 16. And in, in Leviticus 16, what God is doing is he's, he's setting up for Jewish people this day of atonement. And it's this day where the priests have to go through a bunch of rituals. They have to go into the very holiest of holies, place of God's presence, kind of the scary deal. They have to slaughter some animals. They have to sprinkle it in a particular way and, and, and in, or in a particular order. And they do all of this in order that the, the sins of the people can be atoned for, they can be made up for in some way. And in it, there's this phrase, the same Greek word as mercy seat, and we see it in Leviticus 16, 15, 16. He shall sprinkle it, speaking of the blood, on the atonement cover and in front of it. In this way, he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites whatever their sins have been. What this verse is saying is that God initiates our salvation by making Jesus the place of sacrifice. And the reason that he is the place of sacrifice is, we know this from other places in the New Testament, is because he is the sacrifice. Notice through the shedding of his blood, Ephesians 5, 2, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God in first Peter 2 24 he himself bore our sins and his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness by his wounds you have been healed Jesus is the place of sacrifice because he is the sacrifice and the question becomes like what does that mean like, why did Jesus have to sacrifice for us? Why was there a day of atonement? I mean, we get that an animal was killed. We get that Jesus died for our sins. That's something we say as Christians. But what did that mean? Like, what is the purpose of that? And there's, you, you could talk theology for days to come to an answer of that. But 
The plain meaning of this, the same Greek word that translates mercy seat, the plain Greek main meaning is prop, wow, propitiation. And it's this really important theological word that describes what Jesus did for us. And theologians throughout time have written about it, but I want to turn our attention to vocabulary.com in order to help us understand what this word really means. And this is what they say. Propitiation is an action meant to regain someone's favor or make up for something you did wrong. You might offer your mom a plate of chocolate chip cookies in propitiation for killing all her houseplants while she was away. That's an interesting word, right? And simply what the Bible is saying What God has declared to us is that no amount of chocolate chip cookies could ever make up for the sins that we had committed against God. It just was never going to be good enough. You can make all of the sacrifices, every sacrifice. You can sacrifice your very life for God, but it will not be enough to get you into a right relationship with him. And so Jesus comes. He lives sinlessly, like I said before, and, and, and he, he dies in order to make up your sins to God. It's funny because Hebrews 10.4, it says this thing that maybe we don't pay close attention to because we don't think about the death of animals, but it says, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The Bible is even saying like, hey, all of these animal deaths, they appeased God for a minute, but they could never, they could never make up for the sins that the people were committing. And we, even now, thousands of years after God has made this declaration that you could never make up for your sins, still live partly trying to do just that. I know wonderful Christian people who live almost with the mindset that they must atone for their own sins. Maybe you fit into this category. You do something that you know is bad, particularly bad, something really bad, something that you feel really guilty about, and you spend the next week going, well, if I feel bad enough, or if I can make it up to that person, or if I can pray a little extra, or maybe you came to church this morning because like, I need to go to church because I did that thing. You know, if I could just... If I could just find a way to make it up to God, then it would be okay. That's sacrificing for the wrong reasons. God is telling us, you can't make it up. Jesus made it up by living perfectly and then suffering the consequences of hell on the cross for you. You do not sacrifice in order to get into a right relationship with God. Hebrews 10, 14, just 10 verses later says, for by one sacrifice, he is made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Romans 5, 9, since we now have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Jesus' death, his sacrifice, gave us a relationship with God. It offered us salvation. It gave us a hope in he- the hope of heaven. 
And who gets to be made holy? Who gets to have their sins forgiven? Who gets these things? It's us who place our faith in Jesus. It's all you have to do is place your faith in Jesus and your sins can be propitiated for. We don't sacrifice to earn forgiveness. We sacrifice because we have been forgiven. God did all this to demonstrate his own righteousness. John Piper, I love how he said it. Might not be fully accurate, but I still love how he said it. He said that God did all of this. He sacrificed Jesus. Jesus sacrificed in order that God could uphold his own glory, his infinite betterness than us. He wanted to uphold that. He knew he could not leave sins unpunished, but yet he's so loving and so good and so kind and so gracious that he had to find a way for us to be saved. And so he sent Jesus to die on a cross for us. God's love and wrath meet in atonement. They meet in this incredible sacrifice of Jesus. And, and so here's the deal. This is the deal. It's simple. What I want us to understand, what needs to be in our heads, what you need to grasp, is that no amount of sacrifice can ever earn you a relationship with God. I, I just know there are people still today in our world People that I know, hopefully none of you, but people who would tell me if I said, hey, why do you think you, have a, you can have a relationship with God? Why do you think you'll go to heaven someday? Why do you think when you die, everything's going to be okay for you? They would say, they would say things like this. Well, I go to church sometimes. I donate money to that charity. I pray at night. I sacrifice. And what I don't want us to go into this series thinking is I'll sacrifice to make it okay with God because you can't do that. Instead, what I want us to go into this series thinking and, and maybe even more feeling is this. Jesus sacrificed so much for me it only makes sense that I would want to sacrifice for him you remember the good Robin Hood the good version of Robin Hood with Kevin Costner do you remember that movie uh, I don't even remember who played the role but he had the the Muslim friend and he had saved his life when they were fighting uh, when they were breaking out of prison together and he had saved his life. And so this Muslim friend of his says, I'm with you until, until I can save your life back. I think that's a good illustration of, of how we ought to feel. I mean, just consider how much Jesus did for us. He felt God's wrath as he hung on the cross. We talk about the physical aspects of Jesus' death a lot. Like, I mean, he had nails driven through his hands and his ankles. That's terrible, right? Before he got to that point, he was beat up on multiple occasions, hours apart. 
He had a crown of thorns placed into his head so that he bled. We have one right here. If you ever want to just have a little better understanding of what Jesus dealt with, go poke one of those. It hurts. He was whipped and scorched. His back would have been disgusting. But none of that is what's ultimately important about what Jesus did on the cross. Because when he hung on the cross, what happened there is that our sins were placed upon him. And he felt not the weight of physical torture only, he also felt the weight of spiritual death of hell. He sacrificed more than we can imagine. And we should look at that and I believe it should compel us to say, Jesus, what can I do for you? Wouldn't you do that? I mean, if somebody took a bullet for you and survived, wouldn't you just say, is there anything I can do for you? You ever had somebody help you out financially and you know that there's no way that you can repay them? Don't you feel like saying to them, hey, is there anything I can do for you? Like, can I help you move or something, you know? Like, is there anything I can do for you? When somebody sacrifices for us, it compels us to want to say, what can I do for you? And this series is all about looking at the New Testament and saying, what has God asked me to do for him? What has God asked me to sacrifice on his behalf? And so this morning, I'll leave you just one more time with this. We sacrifice not to earn a relationship with God, but because we have one. And I hope that each of you have one. And I hope that each of you understand what an incredible sacrifice it took for you to have that. And I hope that you want to do something for God because he did so much for you. Let me pray that that'll come true in this series. Lord Jesus, I know that this is like heavy. I don't have any objects up here today, God. I, uh, I, just, I just know that like I've heard so many stories about people who went to church for years and didn't really understand that they couldn't earn their way into a relationship with you. And I believe, God, as we, as we move into this series on sacrifice, it, it would be easy for us to, to feel, God, like we have to do these things in order to, to make you love us <laughs> or to become your child. I think, God, and this just came into my head now, so maybe it's from you. I think, God, that's maybe because, because a lot of people have, have parents where they feel like they've had to earn their love. So they grew up in a, in a setting, God, in a culture where, the, where they had to do everything right in order to feel like they were good enough. But, Lord, that's not the way that it works for us as Christians. God, you looked at us and said, you're not good enough, but I love you anyway, and I want you to be my child. And I pray that we would understand what an incredible sacrifice you made. And God, we'd leave here this morning, and hopefully, God, in, in the coming weeks, we would just say, God, I want to do something for you because you've done so much for me, and we would be compelled to sacrifice in response to your sacrifice, God. Jesus, I thank you for your brilliant love for us for the grace that you offered us because of that love. I pray we would all understand it and I pray that we would all understand it more and more every day, every month, every year, God. I pray these things in your name, Jesus.